glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Exodus 25, would you please stand with me as we read God's Word? Exodus 25, beginning in verse 23. The Bible says, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about. And thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all. Of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set them, set upon the table, showbread before me always. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, This bread called showbread, the best I can understand, is because it was on display All the time it was there to be eaten. It wasn't just to be looked at. But this showbread provided for the priest who went in there to minister. They could eat the showbread. Uh, It would seem they not only ate the showbread at that table. It's it's apparent they ate entire meals inside the holy place. We'll see a text in Leviticus in a little bit that is pertinent to this message. But I want to take a few minutes and maybe I want to take plenty of time on the introduction to get us to where we are. As you've you've been listening to the messages on the tabernacle, you understand we started outside and around that tabernacle, let me just remind for anybody who may not be familiar with the tabernacle, the tabernacle was pitched in the wilderness after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. God designed it. It was a template on earth of what the approach to God looks like in heaven. It was a, it was a parable, if you would, in the form of a building project. And what it was intended to do is for God to meet with man. God created a tabernacle. He said this is how God and men are reconciled so they can meet. God was willing to meet man in that place, but God set up a representative priesthood to represent man, to go in there. And, of course, the high priest is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest. But what happened is God designed that tabernacle to give us an understanding of the fact that man and God are not naturally in fellowship. We are naturally separated because of sin. Isaiah 59 tells us that our sins have separated between us and our God. God said that to the nation of Israel. So it's sin that separates us from God. It's what, it is what has broken fellowship, agreement, and unity between God and man is our diverging from Him, missing the mark and intentionally missing the mark of God's will in our lives. In, in short, sin is disobedience to God. I've been taking my children to the book of Proverbs, a lesson or two a day in the book of Proverbs for our family devotions, and I'm just reminded that once you remove the authority of God's word, you have lost any bearing for what is right and wrong. The moment you and I decide that right and wrong is determined some other way than what God says, there's no definition of, for instance, uprightness. There's no definition for wisdom. Wisdom is whatever works for you. Wisdom and pragmatism are not the same thing. Wisdom is following God's will and knowing that God's will works out right. And wisdom is so much more than that. But my point is this this morning, uh, that God through his word laid out the tabernacle to help us understand the, the distance between God and man and how that distance is closed. 
How does a man approach God? And it was a building on earth, but that building was not the true. The true tabernacle was pitched in heaven. Jesus came down and tabernacled with men on earth. The entire tabernacle project is a picture and type of Jesus Christ. So you start with a white fence of fine twine linen representing the purity and holiness of God. You know why man can't approach God? Because God is pure and God is holy and we are not. And so we talked about that fence and how it only had one gate, one door. And inside that gate, the first thing you come to is the brazen altar. And that you and I cannot approach God in fellowship until we first deal with the ugliness of our sin. The beauty of holiness cannot be approached without the ugliness of sin being dealt with. The altar is a picture, the brazen altar we looked at, at of, the, of the cross of Jesus Christ, that just as a substitute was placed on that altar and died in the place of the sinful priest and the sinful people, even so Jesus Christ was put on the cross and died in our place, shed his blood as the altar lifted up that sacrifice, Christ was lifted up on the cross. And so our sin is only forgiven, our sin is only dealt with, not through what we do for God but what God has done for us. I cannot state that enough. You and I are not made righteous through what we do for God. If so, God can be bribed. Good works are nothing more than man trying to bribe God into looking away from his sin. God will not be bribed. And so then the only way to have our sin dealt with is not through what we do for God, but through what Christ has done for us. He was punished in my place. He was punished in your place. He died on the cross not only for us. He died for me. He died for you. And until a person accepts the punishment of my sin is what Jesus took on the cross. If I reject that, I must take it personally. God must exact it on me personally if I do not accept what Jesus took for me. That's the brazen altar. It was not made of gold. To my knowledge, the brazen altar had no gold on it. Brass, judgment. So we move beyond the brazen altar where the substitute was sacrificed for the sins of the people and even the sins of the priest who was not like the Lord. Uh, the, our Lord and Savior, the great high priest, did not offer for his own sins but only for ours. So he goes beyond the brazen altar. Last week we looked at the laver also made of what material? Brass. But at the laver, there's no, there's no blood applied at the laver. It's water. And we find in the Scripture water is a picture and a type of the Word of God. Water is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, but throughout Scripture, water is a type of the Word of God. We are made clean by the washing of the water of the Word. Once you have received pardon at the brazen altar, that has to do with your inner man. Where, how does God do His work of purification? From the outside in or the inside out? Inside out. God does His work inside out. He starts in your heart and works His way out. That's what our Lord and Savior taught. Cleanse first that which is within the vessel that that which is within and without may be clean. Once your conscience has been dealt with at the cross, now you need your life dealt with through the Word of God. So the cross deals with my being reconciled to God through pardon of my sins. The laver is a picture of the Word of God cleaning up the life so that I am ready to go in and fellowship with God. The holy place was all about fellowship and service. And you're stepping one step closer to the very presence of God, the holiness of God, once you leave the laver. The laver is not a picture of salvation, meaning it's not a picture of you wash your, clean your life up so you can have forgiveness of sins. No, you clean your life up because you already got forgiveness of sins. At the brazen altar, God forgave your sins. Now at the laver, now that I know God has pardoned my sins, He's not going to kill me. Now that I've received His mercy and His grace, I'm going to cleanse my life in accordance with His word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe it's possible for a person in the world we live in to live with a good conscience? Yes. 
Is it possible for you to live day by day with a pure conscience? I didn't ask a trick question. (laughs) If you're saved this morning, there should be no hesitation, absolutely. Because if you think we have to live with a defiled conscience, we have resigned to the fact we have to live in sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I didn't say you have a sinlessly perfect body. You won't have that until you get resurrected. But you can live in victory. You and I do not have to live surrendered to sin. We can live victorious. How? Through the life of Jesus Christ. His death pictured at the brazen altar, his life at the laver. Is it not? The life through his word that cleanses wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Here's how you live with a good conscience. Always say yes to your Savior. Always say yes to his word, and then you have a good conscience. Amen? Amen. And so then, uh, we've come from the brazen altar to the laver. Now we're going to come inside the tent, the very tabernacle. We're getting into the very building where God is at. And once you get in there, the furniture changes. The material that it's made with changes. As we read through Exodus 25, 23 down through 30, some of you are, I know, you're students of your Bible. What did, I, I maybe didn't catch your attention, but what catches your attention about the table of showbread in contrast to the laver and the altar. Didn't catch your attention, that's okay. <laughs> I'm the one that's studying this to preach you, it's okay. It's made of gold. There's no brass, not one piece of brass on that table. You know why? You've already dealt with the judgment of your sin before God at the brazen altar. Now you've looked in the water of God's word and it's 1 Corinthians 11, you've judged yourself. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be. Yes, we saw this last week. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but the doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. God intends us to look into his word when it shows us something wrong, confess it, meaning agree with him. If he says it's wrong, just agree with God. That's, you realize that's what confession means? Confession means to agree with afterwards. God makes a statement about something in our life through his word, and instead of balking at it, we say, Lord, you are right. You pointed out that my attitude is is that I have covetousness in my heart. You pointed out uncleanness or lasciviousness in my life, and that is filthy. God, your word says that's filthy, and then you get into God's word and let it cleanse you of that sin in your life. (laughs) Now, you know what happens? The brazen altar, then the laver, then we come to the table of showbread. So if the brazen altar is about salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the laver is about sanctification, getting your life cleaned up in accordance with God's word, not so you can get saved, but because you are saved. We understand the order, right? The altar, then the laver. <laughs> then what does the table represent? How many of you plan on going home this afternoon? Now, this an American pastime now, really, it's like past for many, is sitting around a table and having a meal together. Uh, I'm grateful. That's one of the things we enjoy around our house, sitting around. And it takes two tables for us now, but we like to get around the table and have a meal together. Why do we do that? We don't have every meal together. We will this afternoon, though. What do we have around that table? Fellowship. The table speaks of fellowship. It it speaks of uh, preparing us for service. We'll say something about that. But really the whole emphasis of the table, the altar is about salvation, forgiveness of sins. Uh, The laver is about purification, sanctification. May I say this? Even as there are many unsaved people who want to bypass the brazen altar, not deal with the necessity of the cross to pay for their sins, they want to go right to the Word of God and say, how can I clean up my life? Well, you can't until you've accepted the work of Calvary. 
You cannot have outward cleansing until you have inward cleansing. And there's no way to clear your conscience of the guilt of sin except through faith in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. That's the only thing that will clear man's guilt, uh, the guilt from his conscience, that I am no longer in trouble with God. Jesus said it is finished and He meant it. He finished the payment for my sins. It doesn't need to be paid for again. Let me ask you something. If, if you sold a car to somebody and a few weeks later they come back and say, you know, I don't think I paid you enough for it. Like, well, we agreed on the price. Yeah, I know, but I really love the car so much, I don't think I paid you enough for it. I'm going to pay you again. In the back of your mind, you go, okay. And they pay you again. So you write them a letter and say, you know, I've been researching, and you're right. That car really is worth a lot. I, I, I appreciate that second payment. It was so kind of you. And they're feeling guilty, and they come back and say, did I pay you enough? And you're like, ah, you know, I, you, you, you paid, but I've been looking at there's cars just like this one going for more and you start milking that thing and getting them to pay you again and again and again when it's been paid in full. What are you? You're a crook. Now on the cross of Jesus Christ, our sins were paid for in full. Somebody help me this morning. When the Lord Jesus said it is finished, did he just mean his life was done or his work was accomplished? Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, meaning he took what we deserve. So my point is this. When a person wants to go directly to the laver of God's word to get cleaned up, but they have bypassed the altar, meaning the work of the cross, you're never going to be able to do that. You have to have your sins dealt with once and for all, knowing that your sins have been pardoned for Christ's sake. Then you can go to the word of God, knowing that your sins are forgiven, and get your life in line with who you are in Christ now. But once that's happened, what comes next? Fellowship. May I say this? There are some who want to do this. Let's walk into the courtyard of the tabernacle. Let's address what happened. I want forgiveness of sins. I want my sins pardoned. I don't want the fire of God's wrath. And so you accept the substitute of Christ as your own Savior and salvation. And then you come to the laver and you're like, I don't think there's a need for me to stop there. I'll just go right in and start eating some bread. You know, I want the bread of fellowship. I want fellowship with Christians. I want fellowship with God. I want, to eat, I want the bread of God's Word, and you bypass the cleansing of God's Word. May I say this? You cannot disconnect cleansing in your life and fellowship with God. And that's why the table uh, deals with fellowship. And so I'm a little ahead of myself because I'm giving you my first point without giving you the title of it. If we look at the table of showbread, as you walk into that, that court, again, the brazen altar, then the brazen laver filled with water. Again, the brass is there, a mirror, so you can see yourself truly, just like we can see ourselves truly in God's Word. And what you see, you have not only the ability to see. This is I said this last Sunday. I don't want to repreach the message. But one thing I love about my Bible, it doesn't only point out what is wrong. It tells me how to get it right. God not only tells me bitterness is sin. He tells me how to forgive. God not only tells me that lust is sin, He tells me that contentment is found in Jesus Christ. We go on and on. The Bible not only gives the problem, it gives the solution. Psychology can tell you what's wrong with you, but it can't tell you how to get it right. Honestly, I've seen this happen many times with counselors. They can say, you are hurting today and you're angry at your world because this happened to you in your life. And they're right. And they're like, and this is the best shot we have is what to, to do you... Say these five phrases over and over when you think about what happened to you. Try to be kind. Try to do good deeds. And what they're doing is making an effort to help people when it really doesn't provide an eternal or lasting solution. But the Word of God is not only the brass to show you what you are, it's the water to change it. 
It's the cleansing. It's not only the revelation of something wrong. It is for doctrine, reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, which we'll see here in a few minutes. So then, we've come past the brazen altar. We've come past the laver. We have received the sacrifice of, uh, of, uh, for our sins in Christ Jesus. We've come to the water of God's word. And by the way, you don't just go to the laver one time. You go again. You don't just visit the altar one time. It's what Christ did once and for all. But do you and I need to be remembering what he did for us again and again? He only died once and for all and your salvation is eternal, but we must visit that again. In light of what He did on the cross, we need to go to the the water of His Word and let it cleanse us so that we're ready now for what? Fellowship. And again, as many unbelievers want to skip the brazen altar, there are believers who want to skip the laver. God has an order. God says, you must come first to the cross of Christ and then to the water of my Word. Now we're ready to fellowship. Now we're ready to fellowship. And just to make this point... Is it possible for you and I to limit God in our lives? I'm getting mixed answers. It is absolutely possible. See, he's all-powerful. Of course he is. But the Bible says in, in Psalm, I believe it's 78, that the nation of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. What? We can limit God? We can. Can we hinder our own prayers? As believers who've who've been to the brazen altar, we've been to the cross, we've been forgiven, can we hinder our prayers? How so? Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not. Hear me? For those who would cry foul and say, Oh, pastor, that's not applicable to the New Testament Christian. Well, I'm glad that got brought up because we have 1 John 5, 14 and 15 talks about we have to ask according to His will and that that we have our prayers answered because we obey Him. That doesn't mean we're saved because we obey Him, but fellowship is contingent upon obedience. So after we've come to the water of God's Word, you say, why are you saying all this? Because when I'm about to preach, if you've, not let, if you've not let the water of God's Word and the mirror of God's Word do its work, the table isn't for you. Can't go to the table until you get some washing done first. How many of us know what must precede the Lord's Supper or the Lord's table? We have a table of showbread. It's called Communion. Anybody's familiar with communion, should we just go take the Lord's Supper, eat that broken bread, the unleavened bread, and drink the cup with known sin in our life? I wouldn't either. You know what some people's solution is? Just don't take the supper. No, get the sin out of your life. He said, examine yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You must know there's a correlation between 1 Corinthians 11 and the laver. Examine yourself. And after you've examined yourself, let the water of God's Word do its work and then partake. Get right what's wrong. Get cleaned up what's out of order because you know what the word communion means? It means fellowship. So when I eat that bread and drink that cup, I am, I am saying I am fellowshipping with others around the broken body and shed blood of Christ. But if I'm not in fellowship, but I'm saying I am, I'm misrepresenting the Lord's body. <laughs> I'm preaching a different message now, but the point is that's what we're looking at this morning at the table of showbread. The, the purification must precede the fellowship. I believe many long for the satisfaction of God's word, but, but have bypassed the laver. You and I cannot commune with God when we're not obeying God. It is impossible. We cannot commune with God when we're not obeying God. It's been the habit of life for so many from this size to decide when and we, when we will and will not obey. Friend, that's not Christianity. Christianity is a life of obedience to the master. Not because he demands it, but because I know he's worthy to demand it. And so then I'm willing to give it. And so 
the path to the table. Let me give you three simple points this morning about the table of showbread. The path to the table. We've already dealt with it. There is sacrifice accepted at the altar. That comes first. And then there is sanctification applied at the laver. That comes second. And let me put it this way. The clo- every time, every, if you leave the brazen altar and head toward the laver, think about where you're headed and what's behind you. What's in front of you and what's behind you. What's behind you at the altar are your sins against the holy God. What's behind you is a life of defilement. What's behind you is the world. You know what's in front of you? God. You know what Jesus Christ does? He reconciles us to God, meaning we were in the world living like we wanted to, which is the definition of sin. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. People say, I just want to do what I want to do. I know, that's why we sin. Our hearts cannot be trusted. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Somebody should have told Disney Corporation that a long time ago. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And so today, you and I can't trust our heart. It will lead us into sin. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the point of this this morning is, as you and I walk through the tabernacle, what's happening is, is a picture of what Christ does for you. He puts the world behind you and every step of the way through the sacrifice of himself on the cross, through the water of his word, he is drawing you near to God. Christ is in your life. You've been reconciled to God, but he wants you in fellowship with God. There's not just there so you can be reconciled and go on your merry way. God longs for fellowship with us. You realize that's what he had in the garden. He would come in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam and Eve and talk with him. What messed that up? Sin did. And that could not be restored until a sacrifice had been slain and the coats of skins put on them. Then they could commune with God again. And you and I must understand that through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through the water of his word, we are evermore putting the world behind us. This goes in line with Sunday school this morning. You and I are not worldly fledglings. We are now in the world, but not of the world, according to John 17. Jesus prayed, sanctify them. What's that word mean, sanctify? Set them apart for yourself in the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the average Christian would say, well, at least we hope so. There's so much doubt hanging over so many people today. We hope we know what's true. We hope we believe what's right. Nobody can know, Pastor. All we know is Jesus is the Son of God. All we know is that every word in this book is true. That's what we do know. And it ought to wash us and cleanse us. If I have an idea that's in conflict with what this book says, let the book remove it from your mind. That's what the laver does. I can't seem to get to the table this morning. I'm stuck at the laver. That's where we were last Sunday. Because you'll never enjoy the fellowship around the table until you have the washing of the water of God's Word. When God washes... How many of you think this morning you have perhaps an idea in your mind about what is true and right that's actually not true and right? I'll repeat it. How many of us think maybe something we think and we think we're right but it's actually not true and right. How do we determine that? Right there. I I guarantee you, you stay in your Bible, it's going to show you spots in your thinking. Well, that thinking is not from God. That thinking is of of my own flesh. That thinking is not from God. That came from the lost world. That thinking is not from God. That's philosophy. That thinking is not from God. That's pride. You with me? Then what do we do? Put it off. 
Cast it down. Let the water of God's word change you. You say, there's something in my life. I've never seen it as wrong. The Bible seems to indicate it is. Then it is. I'm just going to be, I'm going to shoot straight this morning. Then it is. If the Bible seems to indicate that it's wrong, then it is. And let God's word get it off your life. If it's deceit, if it's uncleanness, if it's lying, if it's bitterness, those are things God defines as blotches. Those are things Jesus forgave us for. Let us be washed of them so we can go on in there and fellowship with God. We work so hard to make people uh, want to fellowship with us that we, we deny ourselves fellowship with God. You with me? We'll blot ourselves up with all kind of uncleanness so the world will fellowship with us instead of let God cleanse us we can fellowship with Him. Make no mistake this morning, God is holy, and if we're going to be close to Him, we must be holy. Be therefore holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You know what makes you holy? Your faith in Jesus Christ and His Word applied on your life. Holy in the sight of God, faith in Jesus Christ. That's called positional sanctification. You've trusted Christ, God counts you as a son and not an enemy. But if you and I are sons, shouldn't we live like sons? Shouldn't we live like sons of God, not sons of the devil or something in between? <laughs> Absolutely. So that's the water of God's word, the path to the table. That's what I was, that's what I was dealing with is, number one, we've, we've accepted the sacrifice at the altar of a substitute on our behalf as payment for our sins. We've accepted the water of God's word for purification practically of our sins in our life so that there is integrity. What I am within, I am without, cleansed within and without by the word of God. Thirdly, there is then separation from the world and sin. Meaning, may I put you this way? There's a false form of separation that says it's pharisaical separation, okay? Meaning, I am better at being religious than you are. I am better at being righteous than you are. And that makes me closer to God than you. That's not biblical separation. Biblical separation works like this. I don't set out to be different or better than anybody. I set out to please my Savior. That's it. He died for me. He's living and He is my hope of salvation and therefore my heart is endeared to Him. And I will live my life according to His mind and His will. And by default, you know what that does? That gets me closer to God and further from this world. We're not talking about geographically, but spiritually in our lives. There's no way to be serving Christ and conform to the world. Because he's not of this world, nor like this world. Amen? And so the separation is, your goal is not how far can I get away from the Israelite camp. You know what would move that person, that's, that priest that's working his way through the tabernacle, further away from the camp and closer to God? Simple obedience to God's word. As I accept the sacrifice of the altar, as I accept the cleansing of his word, I'm now prepared for communion and fellowship. So we've left the court of the, the altar and the laver. Now we're coming into the first room of the tabernacle. Now we're actually inside the structure. This place is throughout the Bible called the holy place. It's the holy place. It's not like another place. It's not like the, it's not like the courtyard. It's, there's no brass in this room. All wood overlaid with pure gold. That's the altar of incense. That's the, the candlestick is pure gold, solid gold. There's no more brass. All that's been dealt with. Now I'm ready for fellowship and service. And so then, uh, we find on the table. So we've seen the path to the table. But then as we come in here, on your right, as you come into the holy place, that's where you'll find the table of showbread. 
And on that table there were 12 loaves of bread, one representing every tribe of, of, of Israel. The symbolism in that is God was fully providing for His people. He was fully providing for their sustenance, fully providing for their needs. The idea would be this, man should not live by bread alone, but that bread representing not only the cleansing of God's Word, but the sustaining nature of God's Word. And there was a, there was a loaf for every tribe. There was a loaf there to represent every tribe. And then the, the Bible says they were there always. And we'll read that again in just a moment. Exodus uh, chapter 25, verse 30 says, Now shalt set upon the table showbread before me, Always, it's spoke, there must always be bread, meaning heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand. How far? Forever. The point is this this morning. As you come in, you've left the laver behind, and now we have the table of showbread, and that represents a table with bread, represents fellowship, and on that table is food. And again, I got a little ahead of myself this morning. The supply is always, the sustenance that comes from it, gives strength to the eater. You'll also find uh, that inside that room where the, the bread is and the, uh, for, for the, the feeding of the priest who's come through the altar and the laver, now he's in here partaking of the bread, he's got more service to do. He's supposed to trim the lamps. He's going to offer incense. If he's the high priest, he's going to go in beyond the veil uh, to the mercy seat and continue to serve. It's in there, and in the eating of that bread, he finds strength for his service. Let me put it to this way. You say, what's the practicality of this? I'm going to go back to the laver. I told you, I can't, I can't seem to leave it this morning. We'll just leave that up to the Lord as to why. How many of us are not getting the sustaining strength to do right because we won't let the Word of God change us? I want to ask this this morning from a practical standpoint. Whatever there is, whatever, whatever bird is sweeping down to pluck God's Word from you today, don't let, it, don't let him do that. Listen to God's Word today. When was the last time our lives were changed? Meaning I, I put my Bible down after my reading in the morning and said, Okay, Lord, I see it. I see the disobedience in my life. You died to save me from that. And I'm going to let your word, I'm going to obey your word. I see whatever it is in my life you've shown me. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to actually make a change because your word says. That's what, friend, that's what opens the door of fellowship. And what I began to say is how much of the bread of God's word are we never ingesting because we, we've not done what we need to at the laver. We come up to the holy place and turn around and say, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. You realize if the priest didn't go in, if he tried to go in to the showbread without going to the laver first, you might know what would happen to him. He died. God said, you're not going to come in here like that. You're not going to bring your uncleanness and put it on me. I'm holy. And so you must acknowledge that anything that is not in compliance and in line with my, my word is unholy. And it must be washed away. And then you're ready to fellowship. And so then we find the provision or the food that was there on the table. The supply was always representing God's word. It's a picture of God's word. The sustenance. We know what bread does. It sustains life. And then the strength that came from it. Let me read to you Psalm 104, verse 15. Psalm 104, 15. The Bible says, verse 14, He calls it the grass to grow for the cattle. An herb for the service of man. I can't tell you the number of inmates have told me that's talking about marijuana. And I kid you not. That's the favorite verse to quote. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about, just for the record. That he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which does what? Strengtheneth man's heart. Now go with me, if you would, 
to Ephesians chapter 3. What does bread do for the physical heart? By the way, you eat good grain. What organ of your body does it minister to? If you eat good grains, it'll help your heart. It's good for heart health. And so the same is true spiritually. You eat good bread, it'll strengthen your heart. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Many times we're not doing right, not because we don't necessarily want to, but we don't have strength to. Where does the strength to obey God come from? It comes from the bread of His Word. It comes from His Word being ingested, taking into the person, into the heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. That he, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be what? Strengthened with might by His Spirit. Where? In the inner man. Bread strengthens the heart of man. We read in Ephesians 3.16, Paul's prayer that God would strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner man. How does He do that? By the bread of His Word. It's why Jesus told the devil in a moment of tremendous physical weakness, 40 days without food, 40 days without water. You say, man cannot do that. Jesus did. It was one of His miracles. You don't go 40 days without food and water and, and live. But He did. Why? Because that's what he was led to do. The Bible said the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and to fast 40 days and 40 nights. And he did. And in the greatest moment of his weakness, when he's hungry, physically weak, the devil comes and says, If thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. I got news for you. After 40 days of not eating, if I had the power to turn rocks into bread, I probably wouldn't wait for them to be turned into bread. I'd eat rocks. <laughs> Amen? You know, the Lord said, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Where did Jesus find the strength to say no to that temptation? The Word of God. And it was the written Word of God. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And we go on, two more temptations, and each time Jesus said, as it is written, uh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, and so on and so forth. And so the fact of the matter is that the Word of God is where we get our strength. It's where we get our cleansing but it's where we get our strength. And so at the table, on that table, it wasn't there just to look at. It's beautiful to symbolize the beauty of God's Word, but on it, it was something that the priest could actually eat, and it gave them strength to serve. And so then, uh, the supply was always there. The sustenance was there for them to give them strength to serve God. In John chapter 6, verses 51 through 63, the Lord Jesus gives that great text of Scripture on Him being the bread of life. In John 6, early in the chapter, he had fed thousands with physical bread. And they followed him because they wanted more teaching or more bread? More bread. They wanted to make him a king because he gave them a free meal. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. People are the same. And the Lord said, I am the bread of life. I, me. And then he goes on to say, and we'll not turn there for time's sake, but unless, except you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And some of them got offended because they thought he was referring to cannibalism. They could not think spiritually. They could not understand. He is speaking to them of the fact that his body would be broken on the cross and his shed blood would be shed and that you could rest on his word that if you took that and received that as the payment for your sin, then you have life. And he said, my spirit, my words are spirit and they are life. And the 12 disciples, one of those being a devil, Jesus said, will you also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Meaning the bread for the servant of God today is this book. Do you know why Satan wants to keep you out of this book? Because he can weaken you. 
And if he can weaken you, he can defeat you. Now, help me this morning. You give me some examples. What are some things in this world we live in that compete with this book for your attention? How long could we be here this morning? I mean, there's a host of things. Always something. A phone. Uh, I mean, people... In an age of communication comes with the ability of people to communicate. <laughs> so then there's always, there's always something. But friend, you know what? I, I, I get in my mind, after they left that court, you could still hear the world outside, the hubbub of the camp. As you're at the brazen altar, you can still smell the stench of, of that burning cattle. You get closer to the altar, you start getting cleaned up, and you realize my atmosphere is about to change. You step inside that tent that had multiple layers of coverings, and all of a sudden it gets quieter. All of a sudden, you can focus your attention. Can I encourage you very practically, especially those of you who are members of this church, and this applies to any Christian, but find you a quiet place every day and get alone with God. Don't wait late in the day or it'll never happen. Get, in, get into God's Word to let it wash you. And once it's washed, you're ready to commune and fellowship with God. Once God has dealt with the things in your life that are not consistent with who He saved you to be, and you've gotten that squared away, then you start feasting on God's Word. But you're going to have to get the, the, the hubbub of the world shut out. That's why Jesus said, When thou enterest into thy closet to pray. You've got to find a place where it's you and the Lord and that table is in there and the world is now further away and you're focused on that bread. Why? The bread was not there just for you to have a meal. There was more work to be done, but you couldn't do the work unless you ate the bread. And so then it was there to provide food, strengthening and sustenance, just like the Word of God is to the Christian. You must, you must, you must. If you want to serve Christ, you must, you must take time for God's Word. You must not, may I say this? We have, we have a, a three-year-old. I won't say her name, but you know she is. She sits at the table for long periods of time until we have to say, okay, you got a timer. And if you're not done, you're done. And if it's a meal where you get a dessert, you don't get a dessert. And, you know, it's not, it's not outright rebellion. It's just a, a one bite in the mouth for a long, long time. And if we would allow, the corn particularly would go out. I'm not going to eat that. We don't allow that. You eat your corn or whatever vegetable it may be. But the fact is, that corn or green beans or whatever it is can do no good to her little body until it's past the mouth and into the belly. You can come to church and chew on the message. I promise you, chewing on it won't do anybody any good. You've got to ingest it. You know what the analogy is? Belief is when you swallow it. We're to eat God's word, not chew on it. Well, I'm chewing on a piece of scripture. Quit chewing and swallow it. <laughs> so, well, it's meat. Then put it out of your mouth and get a drink of milk. But swallow that. You with me? God's word likened to bread. It's likened to honey. It's likened to milk. It's likened to meat. Meaning it, we must ingest it if we're going to digest it. One of the reasons God's word is not benefiting people is because I'm not believing it. I'm still questioning. I'm still, I don't know if that's right or not. If it's God's word, it's right. Take it. Believe it. I was reading a, an older preacher uh, this week. I don't remember who it was. Some, uh, and he's talking about the key. I was hearing him preach. The key to understanding is faith. And it's true. He said, I don't understand the Bible. Believe it first. Believe it first. So I can't believe something I don't understand. Then you'll never believe the Bible. You believe. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible says sight comes by faith. We don't believe because we see, 
we see because we believe. So what's that have to do with this message? Everything. If you're a child of God today and you say, I'm lacking strength to serve God, you're going to get your strength from the Word of God. The table is representative of food for strength, but also the provision of the table is not just food, but fellowship. Look if you're with, me, with me at uh, Leviticus chapter 7. We mentioned that, and we know we're talking about fellowship with God, but this is interesting. I cannot help but believe that table represents the local church because what happened is all the priests would meet around that table and have a meal. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 7. Here we're getting some law on the various offerings that were to be made. The burnt offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, the thanksgiving offering, so on and so forth. Leviticus chapter 7, I believe we're dealing with the trespass offering, verse 1. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering, meaning you've done something, you've trespassed God's law, and you have to recognize that that is a trespass, and you have to recognize the substitutionary sacrifice and all of that. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, shall they kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about upon the altar, that would be the brazen altar, and he shall offer of it all the fat thereof, uh, the rump and the fat that covers the inwards and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them which is by the flanks and the call that is above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Verse 6, every male among the priests shall eat thereof. So they're not, they're not just eating bread. They're going to eat this offering that was offered on the brazen altar. It's been grilled there, if you would. It shall be eaten where? In the holy place. It is most holy. You realize the priests communed in there in that holy place. They got a table of showbread. I'm not suggesting they laid the meat on the table, but they had to have a meal in there. And the point is the holy place was not only a place of fellowshipping with God, but of like-minded people who had accepted the sacrifice of the offering, had come to the washing of the laver of God's word, and were now gathered around the offerings that had been offered on that altar and the showbread in there. My point is this. You know what brings true Christian fellowship? Agreement with the Word of God. True Christian fellowship is not based upon age bracket. It is not based upon uh, color. It is not based upon gender. True Christian fellowship is based on a mutual uh, response to the Word of God. They, the priests fellowshiped around the table of showbread. They fellowshiped around the meal provided them in that place. And the table of showbread was there for not only food to sustain the individual, but fellowship one with another. And may I say this, the primary thing that should determine the fellowship of a local New Testament church is our love for God's Word. That's what ought to determine the fellowship. Amen? This is, by the way, that's what then destroys fellowship on the flip side of that, is a lack of love for God's Word. And so the fellowship, we see the cost and the sacrifice and the commonness, the priest. And by the way, every believer is a what? A priest. We've been made kings and priests with God. And as we serve the Lord together, we commune around the bread of His Word. When we take the Lord's table, how is that determined? By the Word of God. It's symbolic of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. We commune around our mutual faith in the person of Jesus Christ because of our mutual faith in His Word, the bread of His Word. And so then, and the cost, the, the sacrifice of Himself, that's what it costs. You know what it costs for you and I to have fellowship? Christ shed blood and his death on the cross. And so that the path to the table came from the altar and the laver and then to the table of showbread. The provision was food for the servant and fellowship of the servants. Number three, the preparation of the table. The table is there. It's when you first come in, assumedly it's always named in order first. It's on your right 
On your left are the seven golden candlesticks, what we would call a menorah today, but it, was, it had lamps that were fed constantly with oil and they were to be trimmed and burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you had the lamps on the left and then you had the altar of incense. Now Matthew 5 tells us, ye are the, verse 13 I believe it is, or 14, ye are the light of the world. Let your light, verse 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know why many are not letting their light shine? They've not spent time at the table of showbread getting their soul fed with the Word of God, getting their faith strengthened, getting their heart strengthened, getting the courage to stand in a wicked world. You know what? It takes courage to not conform to this world. Does it not? Where are you going to get that from? Well, I'm naturally courageous. I won't cut it. It comes from the Word of God. We must feast on the Word of God if we're going to keep the lamps trimmed. We're going to keep the light burning. If Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is not going to lose her candlestick, then Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church must commune around the bread of God's Word, the table of showbread that God has provided. And so then, the preparation is for service, the service of, of living a holy life out in the world. By the way, not only do we find uh, that, that letting our light so shine is living a godly life. That's what Matthew 5.16 talks about, or Ephesians chapter 5 talks about. It is actually giving the Word of God. Where are you going to get the courage and the strength to give someone who doesn't believe the Word of God, the Word of God they need to hear, from spending time eating the bread of God's Word? Amen? I encourage you this today. If I can help in a practical way. If you say, I am not spending the time at the table of God's Word like I should. I am not letting the laver do its work. Then can I encourage you, let today be the day you say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of saying I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Today, I'm going to let God's Word wash me. Today, I'm going to make a priority of being in the Word of God. And if there's something that's causing me to stay out of my Bible, then that is obviously not of God. I'm going to make His Word a priority in my life. I'm going to make fellowship with God the priority. Not fellowship with anybody else. Fellowship with God the priority in my life. Why? Because of what He did on that that altar. That's why. And so then, it prepares us for service. It prepares us for supplication. You find that the, the, the candlestick represents service. The priest, it's called the service of the priest where they would trim the lamps. That's work. They had to pour the oil on the lamps. It's representative of the Holy Spirit being filling the life and the light that comes from that and giving the word of God. And we'll preach on those, those pieces of furniture, God willing. But then you come to the altar of incense. You remember in Revelation what the prayers of the saints are called? It's incense. And it's, it's kept in vials. It's the first vial. The first vials you read of in Revelation are not the vials of God's wrath. They're the prayers of the saints. And incense going up before God. Do you realize that our, uh, the praise of our lips is called a sweet-smelling savor to God? You know what? You've got to ingest the bread if you're going to be able to keep the lamps trimmed and the light burning. You've got to ingest the bread if the prayer life is going to be effectual. Many times folks are discouraged with prayer because it's not effectual. I pray and nothing happens. You realize God's put conditions on us for answered prayer. Look with me if you would very quickly at a few different texts. I just want to say that the eating of the bread of God's word, it prepares us for service. It prepares us for supplication in prayer, which is a form of service. 2 Timothy 2.15, you know well, or many of you would, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul said, Timothy, if you're going to be a workman, you've got to use the word of God aright. If you're going to serve God, if you're going to trim the lamps, if you're going to preach the word, if you're going to be a light, you've got to be in the word of God and you've got to, you've got to ingest it 
correctly. And so then, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, not someone can be... He talks about salvation in verse 15. Verses 16 and 17 are about service. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What, is the, what does the Bible say? The key to being properly furnished to do good works. The Word of God. The written Word of God. And so then, it prepares us for service. It prepares us for supplication. John chapter uh, 15. John chapter 15. A couple more texts to read you in regard to answered prayer. John chapter 15. Talking about the table of showbread, preparing the priest to trim the lamps and keep the lights burning, preparing the priest to offer incense as he served. That was his service in the holy place. And the application to us is it prepares us to live a godly life. It prepares us to preach and give the word of God. John chapter 15, and it prepares us to pray. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me, notice the word if at the beginning of this verse, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So if you abide in me, meaning you don't part ways with me through disobedience, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want to be done unto you. That is a verse on answered prayer. It's not a verse on how to get saved. John 15 has nothing to do with how to get saved. The entire chapter was to 11 men who are already true disciples. It is a verse on how to get your prayers answered. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and we're almost done. First John chapter 5, beginning verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. These are just a couple of verses that demonstrate my prayer life is going to be conditioned by my ingestion of God's Word. You say, what does that say about God's Word? How do we know God's will without knowing God's Word? If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And this morning, the table of showbread, there's not a lot of mesmerizing in this message. It's very practical. The table of showbread, it's about fellowship with God through ingesting His Word. We have fellowship with Him that way. We have fellowship with one another that way. One final verse, 1 John chapter 1. This is a text about fellowship. For those who want to project and preach 1 John 1, 9 as being a, a verse about salvation, they got some major problems. they got to get John the Apostle lost. Because he doesn't say, if you confess your sins, he said, if we confess our sins. 1 John chapter 1, let's go back to verse 6. The context is fellowship. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I asked the question earlier, how many of us think maybe we have an idea that's not right? If we say, not me, well, let's take a read of 1 John 1, 8 there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, John's including himself, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write on you that you sin not. 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. How are you going to get assurance you know him? Obey him. That will give you assurance that you know him when you obey him. So what's this have to do? Fellowship is conditioned to our response to his word. You and I can, it'd be like this. If I said, you know, my wife and I are going to buy a new car. And you're like, what car are you going to buy? So we're going to buy two. Well, why? Well, because I like this kind and she likes that kind. Well, are you in fellowship? Well, of course. We've agreed that we're not going to buy the same kind of car because we don't like the same kind. And no, we're not in fellowship. <laughs> I hate the statement. Well, let's just agree to disagree. That, what that means is we disagree and let's just move on. I get that. But when we disagree, we disagree. And when we, Listen, when we are in disagreement with God, we are in sin. But when we get right, we are open for fellowship. We agree with God and confess. That's what it is. It's agreement with God. Then we're in fellowship. The blood of Christ is what cleanses sin, but it is our obedience that gives fellowship. So the table of showbread, friend, how you and I ingest God's word is going to determine if we're going to get the nutrition from his word. And so we see that the table of showbread, it's about fellowship. The path to the table... After the altar, after the laver, separated from the world and sin, we have now come to the place where we can commune with God and are, and are prepared to receive His Word. Why? So we can be prepared to serve Him as a light and to serve Him in prayer. Both of those things are represented in the lamps and in the, in the altar of incense. May I say this morning, here's the practicality. If you say, you know, praise God. God is, I, I'm aware of this, and as far as I know, I've been to that laver, and I'll go to it again. As far as I know, I'm in fellowship with God today. But one of the things the devil loves to do to the Christian is confuse you. Say, well, if, if being saved is so wonderful, why don't I feel so wonderful? If being saved is so good, then why am I struggling? Why, why this? Why that? Well, God is a God of order. And God says, if you're going to have fellowship, you've got to walk in the light. Meaning you've got to get in the cleansing of his word. Say, why do I pray and my prayers hit the ceiling? Well, maybe you need to go back to the laver and get prepared to ingest God's word. Or maybe today you say, I see in God's word. Let me, let me close with this. I see in God's word. I've looked into the laver and I see what's wrong. I've confessed it. He's cleansed me. But next thing I know, the same blotches are back. You've got to leave the laver and go to the table and start eating some bread. Once God has forgiven you, ingest his word and get strength to, to obey. This message is really not for the unbeliever this morning, but you could be here and you've never yet accepted the sacrifice of Christ as the payment for your sins. You really can't get any use out of the laver until that's done. You may be here this morning and say, you know what, <laughs> the Word of God's always showing me what's wrong with me. My problem is I can't seem to get the strength to move on. How much are you filling your heart and life with God's Word? If, if you get anything out of this message, if you're here this morning and say, I know I'm saved, I want the washing of God's Word, that's not the problem. My problem is I don't have strength. Ask this very practical question. What place and priority are you giving Scripture in your life? How much of it are you actually taking in as the guide and the counsel and the bread of life for you today? How many ate breakfast this morning? Let's do a little better. How many ate breakfast this morning? I thought we had a lot of people fasting there at first. Of course we did. And I think we know what comes next. Can we imagine going, you know, 20 days and forgetting to eat? I mean, somebody said, when was the last time you ate a meal? You know, it's been so long, I can't even tell you. No. Especially we, we that are the male persuasion. No. 
I already got my mind on the next meal. I hadn't eaten since last time. But how many times you say, when's the last time you read your Bible and got something out of it? And we go, God created the heaven and the earth. I'm not, here, I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time. That's not my point. I want to say this. There is an absolute direct connection. Strength of service comes from the bread of life. Amen? Mm-hmm.